Correct. Um, I want to ask a question on that note. Um, I had a client recently, I took her through a, a, an exercise about her future self and, and visualizing the future. And she finished and she was really upset. She said, actually, I'd rather die than, than go there. And that's a real big thing coming up for her. And then she just wrote to me after the session saying, I don't want to go there again. That doesn't interest me. I want to focus on my goals. I want to get. And so this is an issue that's up for me. So that's why I'm glad you mentioned it. Is whether to, whether it's important for her to address that, because it clearly is something that's stopping her from getting what she wants, or whether I focus on what she's saying she wants, which is the goals she wants to achieve in the short term. Well, I'm not clear on, because what I heard you say is, yeah. I did an exercise of getting her to focus on her future, and she got upset and said she never wanted to go there again, and she'd rather die than go there. Mm -hmm. Now, are you talking about her future, or are you talking about some past experience? Her future. Okay. Yeah. So, my question as a, as a practitioner would be, what is it that she's planning to do that sucks as bad as that? because maybe she should change her plans. What is it that she's got, got coded into her future that has her not wanting to go there? Because that doesn't sound like a good plan to me. Yeah. Does, am I answering your question or have I missed? No, I hear that. Uh, there's, if there's any confusion, it's because I'm a little bit confused about what I got from her. I have expressed, I think, what I got from her, the way she told me. I'm also a little confused about what is there what's up for her and why there's so much fear coming up for her i'd be i'd be i mean i'll be real direct with people if i don't get what's going on i'll be what do you mean what hmm. are you talking about and what are you doing like how, what is it that you're doing with your mind when you get to that place and how are you doing that because i want to find out what's going on because here's the thing if when she looks to her future it's a real bad time she needs to change her plans hmm. basically you know, if you're going on holiday, somewhere you're going, oh my God, this is really going to suck. Cancel it and choose another holiday. So I, I really think that's kind of the starting point is to find out what she's got going on there. Mm. You don't need to know in detail mm. uh, necessarily, but she needs to, you know, communicate to you what's going on in some way so that you can help her go somewhere more resourceful with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. And, and there's nothing, in my opinion anyway, there's nothing wrong with asking questions like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Saying, I don't get it. I explain. Uh, or that doesn't make sense to me. Can you explain how it makes sense to you? That kind of thing. I, for me anyway, we've developed for the world of things and experience. For, for a, a very practical world, and as human beings, yeah, we have this ability to conceptualize, to make all kinds of maps about reality and that sort of thing. But still, in order to help someone, to some extent, I need to understand how it makes sense to them. I don't need to get into it with them necessarily. I don't need to feel the same way they do and all that sort of stuff. But I need to get a handle on what's the process for them, what's the structure they're using. So let me just check with you. How is it now when you think about that? Okay. Oh, good. And smiling and, yeah, okay, good. I just wanted to check. So what are some of your other experiences using this technique? Either in the guide role or in the explorer role? I think one of the things that we observed was about getting the start and the end right. Because when I first used technique with um, Elaine, where we had the start point clear, but the end point was, was wrong. 
because the, the point where the kind of experience ended was not the point at which Elaine had moved away from those feelings. So where we kind of stopped the movie, it wasn't the right place to stop. The, 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 the place to stop it was, was some distance on from the actual experience itself, wasn't it? Yeah, and the thing I found difficult was that what actually made me stop feeling the bad things was that I, there was a passage of time and I got distracted and I did something else. The problem is that the distraction came by just... No, eventually I just forgot that that had happened. Sure. So there was kind of like a gap. So the film was kind of like, mm, help, I haven't got that bit, you know. Mm. So that's what I found difficult. And how did you get over that? I kind of somehow just let it have a gap. Oh, okay. But I, I think I, there would be a better way of doing it. But I think I just have to f work out something that distracts me. Or maybe, see, the thing is, if you're disassociated enough when you're doing the process, then you can just keep running the film until it bridges the gap. Because you don't need to be distracted in the disassociated space. So it may be that another layer of disassociation is required. I was also finding it difficult to dissociate. Ah, okay. Well, now that's the key. I remember one time I was demonstrating this, and it was someone who was uh, needle phobic. And I did the double dissociation. And I went through, and I noticed as she, we went through and played the film, she was going, and I said, okay, stop a second. I said, now, and she was up in the, in the projection booth of the cinema at that point. I said, okay, now I, wanna, I want you to float up out of that you up onto the roof of the projection booth and look down at that you in the projection booth that's looking down at that you in the front row of the cinema that's looking up at that you on the screen and then run through it. And that third level of disassociation was enough to make it so that she could be more resourceful. Uh, and that's okay. If you're running someone through it and they're still having the uh, un unpleasant response to it, disassociate them another level further. It's okay, yeah, yeah. And you might even like to run through that with, with Elaine later just to find out what happens when you do that. Anyone else? I've, uh, I've, I've done this a lot of times with people, and one of the early ones that I did, well, the very first one I did, actually, I, I did with this woman, and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, she had a, a dog phobia, and I, so I asked the same kind of questions that I did with Stephanie. I said, so uh, how do you know when to start, and what is it you're first aware of? And so I said, you know, would I just go and see a little dog over there and just start freaking out? And she goes, no, no, the first thing I'm aware of is the big gnashing jaws. And she went like this, like with her hands, right in her face. I went, ah, describe those to me. It's like, well, they're big and red and slobbering. And, they're, and, and whenever she saw a dog, even if it was like 50 yards away, she would instantly visualize these big gnashing jaws right in her face. And then, I, you know, I tried that on for size and imagined a big gnashing set of jaws in my face, and I freaked out. It was like, oh, that's how you do it. But she hadn't been consciously aware of that until that point. And so it's really useful to find out the way that people are doing it on the inside, because it'll almost always, to a greater or lesser degree, involve some kind of hallucination. They're making some kind of pictures. Not always, but, but most of the time. In fact, the, the sort of formalized name for this is VK dissociation, visual kinesthetic dissociation. So making a, a separation between the visuals and the kinesthetic response. Um, then a little later on, I did. A, uh, I had a friend, and uh, or no, she was a friend of a friend actually, but she was uh, afraid of flying. So I said, "Well, I've done some flying phobia work. I'll help you with that if you like." She was going to Spain a few weeks later, and I, she said, "Oh, okay, great." 
And I did the stuff with her and it worked great. And she was like, wow, that's amazing. And she took off to Spain. And then I got, she got back and I saw her. I was like, how was it? She said, well, on the way there, it was great. But on the way back, it all came back. She said, but I booked on to go on one of BA's uh, Fear of Flying courses. She said, and it costs a lot of money, but I'm sure it's going to work. And I realized something, which was I'd done it for her because I kind of wanted practice and wanted to show th this cool thing I could do. And I hadn't got any kind of exchange of energy in return. I hadn't got her to do anything or to pay anything or anything like that. And I'm a big believer in the idea that there needs to be some sort of exchange. People need to feel that they've that they've contributed something in some way that they've that they've or a lot of times that they've earned it in some way or they've paid for it or, or something it needs to be some kind of exchange uh, and ever since I did that my results got better the other thing that I think it's important to do uh, a guy called Robert Diltz whose stuff we'll be looking at uh, later um, he modeled healers around the world and he found there were three characteristics that all really great healers uh, shared in common and he went across a variety of different fields. He was, you know, modeling talk therapists and, you know, uh, people doing uh, body work, people doing um, MDs, nurses, people doing uh, hypnotherapy, all kinds of different fields were represented. But they all had the same three things. Number one, they had a healing intention. They had some goal to help the person change, develop, heal, grow. Now, when I'm working with coaches, I call it a coaching intention. But the idea is the intention is for good stuff to happen for the other person. It's for their highest good, whatever that might be. And what it's not about, and this is what it used to be about with me for a while, is look at this cool thing I can do. Hold still while I run you through this set of techniques I've learned this weekend. And uh, that's not a coaching intention or a healing intention. That's a hold still while I show you this cool shit I can do intention. And uh, I don't recommend that one because the results aren't nearly as good. Um, so the first thing was they had a healing intention. The second thing they had was they had some kind of relationship with the client, some kind of rapport with the client. And that didn't have to be a, you know, 12 months or 12 years kind of relationship, but they had they connected with them at a human level, some kind of connection there. And the third thing was they had some kind of methodology. And it didn't really matter too much what the methodology was as long as they believed in it, as long as the practitioner believed in it. The, the client didn't need to believe in it, but as long as the practitioner believed in it, it would be effective. And so, Jill. Jamie, would you um, therefore think that you could work with your children if, for instance, like my uh, daughter's got a bit of a thing about dogs? Mm -hmm. If there's not an exchange I'm just trying to think of the, an example of what you could use as an exchange if you're working with your child. Well, I'm trying to think what exchanges I've used with my children. Um, I've done some work with my eldest daughter where she used to be afraid of monsters. And so we had, you know, tried various things, none of which worked. And so I got a box and I put a twisty curly wand in it and some handkerchiefs and that sort of thing. And then I said to her that I, I had access to something very, very powerful that she could use, but she had to 
basically promised me that she would only use it if there were monsters in the room and that she would be very, very careful with it because it was very, very powerful. And that I took her through a ritual of taking this magical monster stick out of the box and waving it and going, monsters be gone, monsters be gone, monsters be gone, and doing it three times and that sort of thing. So to my mind, what her part in it was, was her sort of her, her reverence for that ritual. That was what she contributed to it. She didn't just sit there and let it happen. She had something that she had to be doing. There's a, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a, uh, a cake mix in, maybe it's Betty Crocker cake mix or something in the US. And when they first brought it onto the market, it was back in the 50s. And this was a cake that you could basically just add water and, and you'd stick it in the oven and it would make a cake. And they tried it out and it didn't sell well at all. And so they took the various, uh, the, the target market and they put them into a trance or something and asked them, you know, what's going on, what's going on. And it turned out that something really, really important for women in the 50s in, in their target market was that they felt like they were contributing something, that they were giving something. And they felt that this was so easy to make that they weren't having to give anything. They weren't having to put anything of themselves into it. So they changed the recipe and they made it so that in order to do it, you had to add an egg. And so you'd get the cake mix, you'd put it in the, in the bowl with some water, you'd crack an egg into it, and then you'd stir it up and you'd sales skyrocketed because an egg's a powerful symbol. And there was something about that that just kind of completed the, the picture and made it so that there was a contribution of some sort. So you, may, you might like to think of it that they're having to contribute something. They've got, you could call it, they've got a stake in the game. Does that answer your question? Yeah. By the way, I got that idea of the, the magical monster stick from a book called Monsters and Magical Sticks, which I strongly recommend. It's a, it's a great book by Terry Steele and someone whose name evades me. Pardon me? Maybe. Could be. Terry Steele and something else <laughs> that could be slivers or silvers or something. So, Stephanie, would you be willing to come and join me up at the front here for a moment? Wonderful. Come on up. So, we did some work before lunch, and I understand that you've been out uh, experimenting and testing. And I'm a really big fan of, of testing your work in whatever way you can, um, and finding out how the person you're working with is going to test it, how they're going to know that this has really worked. And uh, so what were some of your experiences? Well, I was talking about it over lunch, and I couldn't get the feeling back. And I was trying to talk about the cafe that I was thinking of, or the shop. Maybe you just weren't trying hard know, enough. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody ever done that to you? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I couldn't get that panicky sensation back that you all witnessed earlier on. We went for a walk, and the biggest building we could find was only three floors high. So we stood by a very rickety door, uh -huh. which obviously wasn't brick, so it wasn't supporting the rest of the building, and there were windows above it and I was more concerned about my heels digging into the gravel than the fact that the building might collapse. Cool. Um, so I think I'm going to let my daughter uh, not go to school on Monday, and we're going to go to the cafe. Cool. And try a bit more. Very good. Uh, just out of curiosity, how is it being in here? Because I, I, one of the things I was aware of, even when we started the work, is we're on the second floor of a building here. 
And so to some degree, it fit the criteria that mm. Stephanie had been applying uh, to, you know, that, and you'd said the floor had been waving and stuff. But what's your experience of this now? It's fine. The ceiling's there, so it's... It's, it's glued in place, isn't it? So I'm sure they, I may be It's wrong. not my willpower holding the ceiling up any longer. No, no, we, we got, had a few words about that. And uh, <laughs> no, my understanding is that they may these days use something even stronger than glue to hold ceilings. Really? Up. Yeah, yeah, that's my, I'm not an expert in modern building methods, but uh, I understand that they've, they've started using even more powerful materials than glue to hold ceilings on. Okay. So that's good. So what are some of your thoughts about going forward, you know, beyond Monday and what this makes possible, you know, for you and to you it's, going forward? It's going to be a lot easier working because I won't be saying, what's your building like? Hmm. And then not going into them. Hmm. Um, it will be a big change because my little girl was already picking up. She knows if she jumps, she knew, if she jumps upstairs that she's gonna go through the ceiling and that's not good for her to be picking up from me. Well, some so. of your, one of the things you might begin to think about is some of the ways that you can uh, point her in a new direction yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure, and that's cool, so. that's nice. This is a nice gift to be able to give to her as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and why am I saying that? Well, partly because it's true and partly because that's gonna build additional leverage to some degree, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So would you be willing to come back and have a word in a month or two and let us know yep. what some of the things that have, uh, you've been able to do and accomplish and uh, How much coffee I've drunk in the cafe and how many days I didn't work because I was just hanging around and yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> on, a, on a more serious note, you, you might just want to look at what kind of plans you want to have for those areas of Yep. of your life because something that's you know had limits in the past you know all of a sudden having a bunch of freedom in those areas you may want to just decide how you use that you know in ways that are positive and enriching your life and the lives of those around you mm -hmm. sure all right great okay nice Thank work you very much yeah <sighs> so so just before we move on, are there any other questions, thoughts, or things you want to offer with regard to the famous fast phobia cure or anything we've done so far? Okay. Because the next technique that um, I wanted to explore is something that, and it's interesting. Um, we were doing a rapport exercise earlier where you're uh, first set out to intentionally match and mirror certain behaviors, then just set an intention to connect with a person and noticed that certain matching and mirror, mirroring behaviors were coming out. Did you know that we've got these things in our neurology called mirror neurons? Yes, no. Yes. Mirror neurons, it turns out, they've only been discovered relatively recently, by me anyway. They may have been around for years in books and stuff, but, but no, I've only heard of them in the last couple of years but they're designed specifically so that we can have the ability to look at someone else and make an internal representation of what's going on for them. And it's a way of uh, quote-unquote mind reading so we can understand what someone's internal state is, what their intentions are, and that sort of thing. We've also got a whole bunch of face reading software that come, we come innately loaded with. Um, it's also so we can learn stuff by watching someone else do something. 
And uh, it's, there's a process in human beings, you know, when children learn to talk, children learn to walk, uh, learn to, how many of you have got children? How many of you have seen children? Uh, okay, the, for those of you with children, how long was it before you noticed them mimicking your gestures, for instance? Um, oh, just my son is sometimes going to uh, sort of I move and you know he moves the same way or sometimes he's got I've got, I've got a theory that you know this probably is done from the genes because I've got a sort of certain way I'm looking which sort of I can catch myself looking that way which I remember that way was my dad that was looking mm -hmm. and I can see my son looking the same way he's looking and this is I don't know how he can pick this one up except the genes, I suppose. Maybe genes, I, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do, behaviors and qualities and that sort of thing. As far as I can tell, a bunch of it's genes, a bunch of it's imprinting, a bunch of it's conditioning, a bunch of it's learning of one sort or another, and a bunch of it's other stuff. So it can be, there are some things that can let us know uh, what the connection between genes and stuff is. So there are, for instance, experiments with identical twins that have been separated at birth, and then they found that they have some of the same uh, uh, mental conditions or, or abilities or whatever later in life. And so people say, well, that's proof of, uh, that's proof of you know, that these qualities are genetic. Or maybe it's proof of extrasensory perception and psychic uh, transference between twins. There are a variety of possibilities for all of these things. But it certainly seems to happen. We seem to have, from a very early age, that ability to see someone else and to make some guesses, you could say, about what's going on for them at a very deep level based on what we're perceiving. And it's part of how we learn. There's a thing called deep trance identification that children do very, very readily. It's about watching and sort of pressing the record button for when they grow up. Because nature hasn't, you know, counted on people reading parenting books to guarantee, you know, parenting skills. So the child records the parenting skills, and then, uh, you know, 20, 30 years later, when they've got kids, they press play. It seems to be how it works, something like that, anyway. Because nature and evolution's assumption is whatever was good enough to get them to the point where they could get together and have children is at least good enough for a person to survive on this planet. Does that make sense? Now, I'm, uh, you know, the theory of evolution is just a theory, but it seems like a pretty robust theory for explaining a bunch of stuff. So it's the one I tend to use most of the time. Which gets us where? Well, another thing is that a quick examination of the relationships you have with various people you know who aren't actually in this room at the moment as you think of them, you'll realize that the relationship you have with them is actually the relationship you have with your internal representation of them. Does that make sense? On some level. I mean, I know they're there in the world as well and that they exist and that sort of thing. I'm a great believer of if I shake hands with Rich, that he really is there and that, that I'm really here and that we're having an experience of each other. However, my entire experience of that experience exists within my neurology. And Rich's entire experience of that experience exists within his neurology. That's where it takes place. Does that make sense? Interesting. Why is that interesting? Why is that interesting, Jamie? Well, 
it means that anything that uh, upsets us about someone else, anything we really like about someone else, anything that sort of miffs us about something else, anything we really admire about someone else, is actually all stuff taking place inside our own ner nervous system. Which means it's stuff that's in some way to do with us. And I first uh, got a kind of view of this when I was on a training course once and there was a guy there who was really, really annoying. That was his main problem, he was really annoying. And uh, the, really, the most annoying thing about him was I seemed to be the only person that he was really annoying to. Everyone else was fine with him, it was just me. And then I started to think, well, what is it about him? And what is it about me? Why is it that he can annoy me, but not all these other people? And why is it that I can be cool with zillions of people, but not that guy? And it's interesting, because I guess we've all got people in our life, we've all got relationships where it may not be going quite as smoothly, or the communication might not be flowing quite as fluidly, or you know, they may not be able to see things from our perspective, or vice versa. And uh, there's value and benefit in being able to sort that out. And a guy called Robert Diltz created a process called the Metamirror, which enables us to do that, which enables us to do that um, in a very effective and straightforward way. Even if, and this is the exciting bit, even if the other person really is a huge pain in the ass. Because here's the thing, even the hugest pain in the ass isn't a pain in the ass to everyone. Yeah? Unless he is. Oh, unless he is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's interesting. Uh, I remember hearing a story uh, about the Buddha. And uh, the Buddha apparently was giving one of his three-day seminars. And, uh, and a guy came along to it whose sole intention was to annoy the Buddha. And so all, all the way through it, he's going, you're rubbish. And, and heard that one before, you know, that's bollocks. And the, no, you didn't, you're making it up, and that sort of thing. Really trying to get a rise out of him. And the whole time, the Buddha just smiles and chills and goes about his business and does his thing. And at the end of it, the guy comes up to him and says, well, Mr. Buddha, I'm, I'm very impressed. I enjoyed the workshop very much, but tell me, how is it you managed to bottle up your emotion and not respond to me and not, you know, kind of get really mad at me or whatever? And the Buddha said, no, I didn't do that. That's not what happened. Uh, he said, let me ask you a question. When someone offers you a gift and you don't want it, and you don't accept the gift, to whom does the gift belong? The guy went, the person who was trying to give it to you. And he went, exactly. <laughs> and. Uh, so what I'd like you to do, uh, what I'd like to do is walk you through this process which is called the meta-mirror. So I know uh, we've all got various relationships with various people and that sort of thing. Is there anyone who's got a relationship which they've been perceiving as challenging until now that's been maybe where the communication's been a bit uh, jarred or difficult and that they'd be curious about you know, how they could enrich that relationship in some way? make the communication better. Okay, well, we'll move on and we'll do a different technique then. 
Bridget, I kind of sensed that you had something in mind. Yeah. Okay. Would you be willing to join me at the front? Sure. Great. Okay. Let's do that. All right. So, Bridget, you've got someone in mind that you'd like to experience greater flexibility with? And, yes. And can we have a name for that person, whether it's Mr. X or Ms. X or uh, just a label of some sort? Uh, Ex-husband. Okay, ex-husband. Okay, good. I'm glad you kept it non-specific. I, I mean, he has a name. So, so that would be Mr. X, I guess. Okay. Um, so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. What I'd like you to do is, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to take a seat in this chair here, uh, only at the point where you can imagine Mr. Imagine ex-husband sitting there. Okay. So whenever you're ready, just. Take a seat and see ex-husband sitting there. And what I'd like to invite you to do is just to notice how you respond to him sitting here. Any sensations in your body? Any thoughts, kind of headline thoughts going through your mind? What do you notice as you see ex-husband sitting there? Um. A little tense, impatient. I'd say impatient is a big headline thing around him. Uh, so a little tense. Is that you feeling a little I'm, tense? I'm a little tense. What well, I'm noticing and about him, or what I'm noticing. What are you about noticing me? about yourself? Yeah. So a little tense, um, impatient, impatience, impatience, frustration, a little tense. Yeah. Great. So off you get, and shake that off. Just this is to break the state, so that so that that's. Uh, so, so that we can be in a kind of neutral state out here. And then what I'm going to invite you to do in a moment is only when you're ready is to sit down in that chair and allow yourself to become ex-husband for a moment. Uh, now, obviously, this is only to the best of your ability. But to the best of your ability, I'd like you to sit how ex-husband sits, mm -hmm. to think what ex-husband thinks, maybe to arrange your limbs how ex-husband does, just to become ex-husband for a moment. Does that make sense? So whenever you're ready, and I only want you to sit down in the chair at the moment that you can allow yourself to do that completely. Okay. Only for the purposes of exploration. Now the reason I say only for the purposes of exploration is we don't want Bridget to take on any of that stuff. It's purely for getting an insight or remembering an insight into, you know, ex-husband. Okay. So whenever you're ready. And what I'd like you to do is notice how you respond to Bridget sitting here. Mm -hmm. Just the headlines. What do you notice going on on the inside? Here. I, I, I feel judged. You feel judged. Anything, any sensations? Like where do you feel that judged feeling? Okay. Okay. Any other headlines or is that the key, that judged feeling there? Yeah. Um, I'd rather feel more accepted. You'd rather feel more accepted. Yeah. Okay, great. So off you get. Shake that off. <laughs> okay. Now, I've never seen, you know, the real ex-husband, but what do you guys think? Did that look different there to there? Did that look or sound different? Different experience? Certainly different breathing rates, different uh, 
you know, sites of emotions and that sort of thing. So come over here for a second. And what I'd like to invite you to do here is just name the relationship between those two. What would you call, whatever it is that connects those two, what would you call that? Cautious friendship. Cautious friendship. Okay, great. So now come with me. And let's go over here. Okay. And what I'd like to invite you to do is just look at this. So we've got Bridget over there saying uh, impatience, a bit frustrated, and mm -hmm. uh, that stuff going on. Then we've got ex-husband over here uh, saying he feels judged and uh, would like to have some, experience some more acceptance. We've got Bridget over there naming this as cautious friendship. What's going on here? What's all this about? Well, they'd like to be friends and, you know, neither of them really accepts the other. Each of them seems to have an image of the other that the other wouldn't agree with. And uh, so it's difficult for them to really be friends, because they have a history, but it's difficult for them to really be friends. Um, neither of them will really let the other one in the way real friends do. Hmm. And, uh, and there is that judgment and lack of acceptance that seems to be on both sides. Hmm. Hmm. Well, tell you what, let's take this sense of perspective hmm. as you, you know, have a look at that situation. And let's just take this and get Bridget to shift out of that seat for a moment. Just sit down okay. here. So what happens when you bring this to this situation? Notice how you respond to ex-husband now. Well, he's just human, isn't he? I mean, he certainly as worthy of acceptance as anyone else, despite their history. So, despite their history, he's worthy of acceptance as anyone else is. Yes. Sure. And how do you feel as you sit here looking at ex-husband? Well, I feel a little sorry for him um, because it's really not that much fun to put up with all that disapproval and, uh, you know, and judgment. Mm. That's not that much fun, huh? No, he hasn't been having much fun. Ah. Okay, well, I'd be curious. What happens when you take this and become ex-husband for a moment? Okay. So, you know, not taking that into it. Just allow yourself to become okay. ex-husband for a sec. Notice how this is different. I feel more acknowledged. You feel more acknowledged. And, and more, more noticed, and I like to be noticed. Sure. And, um, yeah. More acknowledged, more noticed. 
Yeah. You like to be noticed. By the way, do you know I'm repeating virtually verbatim what Bridget's saying? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm I'll often just say exactly pretty much what the person said to me. And that seems to in my experience, it seems to be fine in this sort of context. If I'm having a chat with someone at a restaurant or something, it's not necessarily doesn't make for good conversation. But in terms of just reinforcing and acknowledging what someone's saying. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, you understand. Yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? Because from an NLP perspective, on one level, how could I understand? Because Bridget's got her whole, her whole set of uh, meanings that she's making of those words, what acknowledged means, what noticed means. But on another level, I'm kind of letting her know, I get that that's important. I get that, that it's important to you. And yeah. Now, by the way, I've just been very unclean by referring to Bridget rather than ex-husband. But, but let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So step off of there for a second and come over here. And I just want you to name that relationship. Uh, growing possibilities. Growing possibilities. Ah, okay. So come over here. And what happens when you just imagine that you that said growing possibilities and swapping places with the you that's in the chair. So that growing, poss growing possibilities, Bridget, is sitting over there. Okay. Okay, and then go and sit back down there. <coughs> Bless you. And how do you respond to ex-husband now? Well, I, I feel considerably more accepting of him. I feel more open, you know, in, in my body, less, less <coughs> like this. Uh, it's easier to um, respect and value him for the person that he is. Mm. And is that something that you can do now that it's easier to do that? I can indeed. Hmm. Okay. So now just become ex-husband for a moment. He doesn't have nearly this much difficulty getting in shape. <laughs> <laughs> and notice how you respond to Bridget. Like this. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm grateful for that. And then return to here. And allow all these ide different ideas of yourself just to integrate at every level in your neurology, whatever that means to you. Because of course there's a level on which these have always been just different relate ways of relating to aspects of yourself. Sure. And that sense of increasing possibilities and greater acceptance is something that it's good to know that you have that for yourself too, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Okay. So how does this seem now? Um, 
it seems like a, a future I really want to step into and try out. Ah, okay. So what has to happen for you to step into this and try it out? Uh, I guess I just have to do it. Oh, okay. What's that involve? Just, um, just, uh, um, well, right now it would involve like physically just stepping into a place where that were possible. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in future, it would mean just carrying this feeling of, uh, of the possibility of a, of a more real friendship with someone mm -hmm. uh, into everything I do when I, you know, Six thousand miles away, but when I email him or chat with him mm. online or, or whatever, uh, it'll almost be like I'm seeing a different person. It'll almost be like you're seeing a different person. And when you think about it now, what does that look like? That person, that different person that you can see. Well, he looks uh, happier and younger and less stressed and. Um, He's smiling more than he's frowning. That seems a good ratio. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. Only step off the chair when you're ready to step into that future. Okay. And I'll talk to these guys while you're preparing. See, what Bridget said is, that looks like a future I'd really like to step into. So I'm going to take her literally on that. And while it's not exactly the same doing that here as it will be once Bridget's had some of the next few interactions with, uh, with this person and noticed how it's changed in that way. Uh, respecting that metaphor that she offered us, a, a future I'd really like to step into, I'd like to create the opportunity for her to do that. Because I'm you know, always watching and listening for the metaphors that people offer up. And if there's one that I can put to work for us right now, it would be, you know, it would be good to do that. Yeah. So whenever you're ready. Okay, here I go. Okay. Right. You know what this feels like? It takes a huge load off me because all that disapproval and stuff was just this thing that was like, you know, holding me down and affecting every interaction. So how does it feel to be free of that load of, what would you call it? Uh, besides crap. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's besides. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's the best place for it. <laughs> yeah, all, all that disapproval and, and judgment and everything that I know hurt someone who's very nice and, and he's one of those people that most people consider him a giant pain in the arse, too. Mm -hmm. but, um, but he's a very nice person, and uh, um, he didn't need all that coming from me. And now I realize that I didn't need it either. Wow. And isn't it nice to know that having left that, you don't have to carry it with you. You can just leave it behind you. Or wherever is the appropriate place to leave <laughs> yes. it. Yes. All right, cool. so here's what I'd like you to do. With your eyes open or your eyes closed, I'd just like you to imagine the next few steps that for you have meaning and importance. And then take those steps when you're ready into the future.
You might even like to imagine a time in the future, say, three months, six months, a year from now, and going to that place and looking back at today as having been the beginning of a new sense of possibility and a new lightness and freedom in the way that you're relating. You might notice what you have been doing and how you have been doing it in that period of time. And some of the enjoyable and exciting possibilities that have emerged as a result. You might like to return to the present and notice your future opening big and bright before you. You might like to do that. It's just a suggestion, you understand. But keep it in mind. Michelle, thank you. You're very, very welcome. Thank you very much. Can we have a round of applause? Thank you. So have a seat. So that's the metamirror process. Now, this morning, when uh, I demonstrated the fast phobia cure, Sharon said to me, my God, that's the first time I've ever seen you follow the steps and actually do it according to the, the, way, the, the instructions. I almost managed to do that with the metamirror technique as well, but I kind of went off-piste a little bit at a certain point. So I'll take you through the steps that I'd like you to do. Um, the bit at the end was an example of future pacing, and we'll be covering future pacing tomorrow. But before I take you through the steps to the metamirror process, have you guys got any questions having observed that? Yeah. Um, when you first said, has anyone got anything they wanted to work on, I nearly jumped up and I was like, no, I don't want to. But, but what stopped me was because who I would have worked on is my current boss. And yesterday I decided to take a different position um, in the same department, but so I get away from her. And I haven't communicated that decision yet. And I was like, but the trouble is, if I fix the relationship, then she doesn't get back from her holiday for another three and a half weeks, by which time I have to communicate a decision. So I haven't got the opportunity to practice whether that would actually change my decision. So I should just carry on, in which case, I don't know. I mean, I, normally, I'm all for making things better anyway. And I know it would still be good to make it better, but I don't know. I feel like I've tried to fix the relationship so many times and just kind of admitted defeat. And not admitted defeat, but also just thinking, you know what, it's just time for me to do something different. Um, so, I don't know, I just find that whole thing a bit strange because almost like what would have happened if I'd, would it have scrambled all my thoughts if I had changed it all? I, I'm not being articulate. Well, let me play this back for you and see <laughs> if I've got a, an understanding of what may be going on. If I'm hearing you correctly, you've just taken a big decision about making a move and that that's an important thing and that it took you a while to, to come to that decision and that you're glad that you've done that, okay? And we've got a different thing here, which is an opportunity to clean up a relationship or to make it flow more smoothly. But what I'm hearing, and I may be making this up, but what I'm hearing is I've got a concern that if I clean up this relationship, it may take some of the, uh, the solidity out of the decision I've made and I may end up back in a situation that I don't actually wanna be in. It's actually slightly more that if I genuinely, genuinely thought that I could fix that relationship and it was perfect, my decision would be different. Ah. Okay. The trouble is I don't have the possibility of testing it until the alternative has disappeared. Then it's too late. 
All right. And is it definitely too late? Has that alternative, will that alternative definitely I've managed to um, eke out the, you know, I had I supposed to communicate a decision yesterday and actually we just missed each other, so I didn't actually communicate a decision. Right. But he's got a candidate lined up for you know, the side, the other possibility, already had a candidate lined up before I put my, you know, threw my hat into the ring. Right. And he said, I prefer you, but I don't want to lose this other person because it's so hard to find somebody that I want. So, you know, I either need to know from you yes or no, otherwise I'm going to go with the other one just because otherwise I'll end up with nobody. Well, I'll leave it up to you, obviously. It's your decision what you want to do and how you want to do it. But with this, this particular exercise I'm going to invite you to do, you're very welcome to do it with that person or with someone else or whatever you like. Um, but it sounds like you've taken an important decision, and at least the way you've explained it, there's, there wouldn't be a genuine way to test it beforehand, unless it's over the telephone. I don't know how that person would respond to being phoned up on holiday. So, <laughs> so that may reinforce the original decision. <laughs> okay. Any other thoughts or questions or comments? Jamie, you went kind of back, back and forth from like first, second, third, fourth position. Mm. I mean, is it just your intuition in terms of how many times you go around that kind of circle? Often I'll just do it once, but I, the, the different positions, so this is position one, which is the, you know, that was Bridget, Bridget as Bridget, so fully associated, having the experience, person sitting there, how do I respond to them? Then position two is the other person. I'll go through that one, that one, and then this one, which is just name the relationship. What is it that connects them? What's, what is it that's between them? Because there's some kind of, with anyone you're doing this process with, there's some kind of relationship there. Otherwise, they wouldn't be exploring it. Um, so I'll go to that position. Then what, what I'll typically do is the thing I did the second time around, which is get them to swap over position three, the name the relationship position, and position one, get to swap those two over. But I kind of have this, and it's not written down in the instructions. I kind of, when it, when the per, especially when the person's clearly someone who's got a certain amount of insight and that sort of thing, I'll typically just kind of go, What's going on here? What's this all about? Because I work from the position that they were, they're dissatisfied with it in some way anyway. And so given that they're dissatisfied with it, they're probably going to see something that allows them a way in that isn't just about, it's all about this per, it being this person's fault. Some kind of internal shift. So what's, that, what's going on here? What's this all about? And that's where we got a whole bunch of stuff from Bridget. And then I got her to take that and sit that down, you know, shift the original Bridget out of the way and sit, uh, sit that down. And immediately, whew, much more relaxed, much more peaceful, much more comfortable, same over here. Also, you'll notice I did the break state the first time, but then stopped doing that. So I'll do it after the first position and after the first second position, but then I don't typically do any more break states unless a person's in a really uncomfortable state. If they're in really uncomfortable or unpleasant states, I'll do a break state. But once it starts looking like something more resourceful, more positive, more useful, then I won't do the break states. Because I want to, here's the thing, it's all Bridget, right? It's the, 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 the other character in this particular piece has not entered the building at any point. So it's all Bridget, so it's just about creating greater integration between them. Um, so oftentimes, I'll just go around it once, then go to a fourth position and get them to swap those two over, 
and that's it. But you know, it doesn't cost much extra to go around a second time, and it has quite powerful shifts often. And you can do it as many times as you want. You can all do, also do this by yourself, by the way. You know, if you're in a situation with someone who's, you know, freaking you out or whatever, and uh, you want to make that a better relationship, freaking you out is probably not a good one. If someone's freaking you out, maybe you want to get out of there or something. But in general, if you want to improve the way things are flowing, just excuse yourself for a few minutes, go to the bathroom or something, run through it a couple of times, and then come back. And Since things will be different. That. Pardon me? Since you said that, is it possible to do that? So, yeah, sure. We're going we're gonna to pause anyway, but feel free. You know, if, for any of you guys, if you need to use the loo or anything like that, take care of what you need to take care of. The thing that applies to me applies to you guys, too. If you need to eat something, if you need to drink something, if you need to go to the, uh, go to the bathroom, take care of what you need to take care of. Um, and then it's literally just about creating greater resourcefulness. Now, sometimes... They'll get to one of the other positions, like this position, I'll say, they'll say, you know what, that person needs such and such, or that person needs so and so. And I'll say, oh, okay, how could you give that to them? You know, if you had greatest, you know, resourcefulness and power and that sort of thing, how could you give that to them? How could you transmit that to them? They may say, oh, that person needs a sense of peace and comfort. And I might say, oh, how can you give that to them? They say, oh, I don't know, I don't have that. And it's like, okay, well, what's a time in your life when you've had that? And they're like, oh, when I was, you know, 15 years old and I was skateboarding. It's like, well, no, that was a, probably a different feeling, but you know what I mean. <laughs> say, okay, go to that place, get into it, imagine it, send it to them. Now, this stuff is all metaphorical, but remember, our neurophysiologies have been developed for the world of things and experience. So our bodies and our deeper unconscious really gets metaphors. It really gets gifts being given, magic beams of light, all that sort of stuff, because it works in the metaphorical world. Our bodies are metaphorical. You heard Bridget say, I feel like, what were her exact words? I feel like this would be stepping into, uh, like, like I'm about to step into a future that, I, that I'd like, something like that. That's a metaphor, but that's how the unconscious works. The unconscious is metaphorical. So when I've done this, I used to do this all the time when I was coaching executives. I don't do so much of that these days, but when I was, I'd, I'd use this approach. Sometimes when I've taught it to people, they've said, oh, I couldn't do that with my clients. They'd think it was weird. But here's the thing. That's not the case. As long as you feel comfortable with it, they'll feel comfortable with it. If you think it's weird, they'll think it's weird. That's the rule of thumb. Whatever you're comfortable doing and can congruently invite someone to do, they'll typically do comfortably and congruently. Okay? And I've had, literally had people standing on their desks, going up on top of buildings. I was doing it with someone once. We were in this room and uh, there was a garden outside and they said, I just feel like I need to get way more distance from this. I said, come on, we got down to the end of the garden and we're looking in through the windows. I was like, is that far enough? They're like, yeah, take people literally. If they're saying they need to get way more distance from it, if you've got the opportunity, give them way more different distance. If they say, I just need to be looking down at this from a different perspective, get them to stand on their desk. Get, take people literally. If they say, I need to take the helicopter view, get out the corporate charge card and <laughs> rent a helicopter. Because people will tell you exactly what they need, exactly what they want. As long as, you've, as long as you're paying attention, as long as you're watching and listening. Does that make sense? So this is the exercise we're going to do. You're going to get the person you're working with. Do this in groups of three. You're going to get them to sit down in the first position. And the question you ask is, 
So you've got position one, position two, position three, position four. Step A, how do you respond to two? Then when they go into position two, so this is from position one, from position two, how do you respond to one? And I'm looking for feelings, headline thoughts, just the name they give to their response to that person. Then when they're in position three, name the relationship. In position four, swap three and one over, and then re return to position one. Notice how you respond differently now. And wash, rinse, repeat. Go around it a couple or three times. There are instructions in the notes as well. And between one and two, break state. Between two and three, break state. The first time around, anyway. After once round, typically the states will actually be a lot better. And so you won't necessarily need to break state. And then when I get to the end, I invite them to, what I'll say is, integrate all these ideas of yourself at a deep level in your neurology. Whatever that means, what does that mean? It's just inviting the person to kind of put back in, you know, to, to reorganize things and to, you know, because again, the body, the body and the unconscious are very metaphorical. If we've got various versions of themselves dotted around the room, we want to kind of clear that up once it's done. Does that make sense? Okay, any questions before you get into groups of three and engage fully with the process? Relationship where somebody that I have to work with at this company that I mentioned, um, there's a woman that, that I have to work with to get business with, with one of their clients. Um, but the moment I kind of, if she calls me or if I get an email from her, my initial reaction is, oh God, not that bloody woman. And it's not a useful reaction to have because I know I have to work, well, I want to work with her to kind of get the business. But I just find her really unprofessional. Um, and just switches me off, but I would like to have a better reaction so that I can actually get more, more business through. Another person for the tension. Okay, what, what, could you, what could you bring to this to change it? I, I could do your job easily without even thinking about it. You know, why don't you do your job properly? So she's sloppy, she's unprofessional, she makes you think. Why don't you do your job properly? Yeah. Because yeah. you could do a job. Yeah, it's not just about that. It's just I think that if 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 she did her part of the work, then we'd get a lot of, lot lot more business. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, it's just kind of a general unease that I kind of get with it. It's kind of like a feeling of back, backing off. Yeah. Eyes roll back in my head and. Yeah. Okay. Backing off. Mm. Yeah. 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 General unease. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, can you stand up yeah. and just shake that off? Yeah. And then go and sit in that seat. Um, Are you telling yourself that, or is it a feeling that... Well, because, um, because she did my job before me, then kind of I, I feel I've got to live up to her, like or be as good as her, back, back or maybe even better. Is there any uh, feelings associated yeah. with this? Yeah. Yeah, the relationship between Mandy. It's kind of... Uh, First thing that comes to mind, without thinking about it, one or two rules. Tension. Tension. Okay. Mandy. In that I need to let her know that I'm not a threat. There's no intention of me being a threat. And that I need to make it clear what I can do for her to, to, to make her feel that, that there's value in what I have to, to, to give to her. What do you feel it is that you can do for her? Be more successful, you know, help her to get the success that she wants because if, 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 if I get it then she gets it and if she gets it there's more of a chance if she comes to me to, to recognise that... Um, I just want to throw that state into the system right away. So that's I, 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 I'm not being explicit about that. That's what I would... That's what sure, I really. Yeah. In, in what way? Yeah. That's why well, you're responding inside. What you're thinking, feeling. If you don't know, just take a guess, pretend. I'm sure thinking it, it, maybe it's, it's hard for her as well. Can you stand up? Stand up. Right. Give this relationship a, a new label. First thing, first thing that comes in your mind.